Good day, everyone. Welcome back to another Friday Wrap uh, episode. I think we're starting to get a bit of varieties out of these Friday Wraps now, I've got to say. Um, not just uh, <laughs> harping on the same tune all the time about inflation and interest rate, which is always the typical good topic to talk about anyway. But it starts to get a bit boring, I think, after about two or three weeks when you're talking about exactly the same thing. Um, so, look, uh, welcome back, listeners. I think today, you know, we are going to basically look at another successful investor and see what we can learn out of it, um, essentially. So, but anyway, before we jump into that, I keep forgetting to try to introduce our co-host, which is not great. <laughs> so, Jazz and John, welcome to the pod. Hi there, David. Hi there, Jazz. Happy Friday, boys. <laughs> Happy Friday, mate. Happy Friday. Um, anyway, um, so... Coming back to the topic, another successful story today in regards to um, 10 successes from Bill Ackerman. Um, so for those people who don't know him, he is the founder and CEO of Pershing Square Capital Management. So it's a hedge fund in uh, US. And um, he's got a net worth of $3.2 billion uh, as today, and he's only 55 years old. So, you know, we we're talking about how much net worth we have <laughs> with him <laughs> beforehand. <laughs> John, John, had, John had the courage to add his net worth to Bill Ackman's net worth, but but nothing changed. That's so- right. Like <laughs> I'm not I'm not bragging. I'm just saying that if you add my net worth and his net worth, it's still worth 3.2 billion dollars. So you know, you know, and we're about the same age. So successful. So <laughs> one of us. There you go. There you go. So it shows shows how many zeros that's behind it, basically. I mean, even <laughs> even a big even a big fish like John. Um, <laughs> so um <clears throat> so yes, yeah, so today we're gonna study about Bill Ackman. Um and uh look the 10 points we're going to I guess quickly run through it because it's not gonna be enough time for us to cover all in detail. So what we'll do is um, I'll cover basically each point and then, you know, we'll basically go around to see where there's any comments, uh, any, any things that we want to add to that. Okay, so number one, um, overcoming adversity, overcoming adversity. So basically the whole key summary there he talks about is all the successful people um, have had some sort of failures and, you know, they could be quite big failures as well at some point in time. And that's before they can actually get up to the next pinnacle, I should put it that way. So, you know, like the harder you fall, the higher you rise later on. So, you know, overcoming adversity is a very important aspect. And his key point, his main thing about this overcoming adversity is all about how do you deal with adversity? Okay, so it's not about it's not about um, failing to, well, afraid to be making failures, but more about how you actually overcome it and how you perceive how you react to it. So I really like the quote that he says in the video that how you deal with adversity that determines your ultimate success, as opposed to how you deal with success that determines the adversity. Okay, so that I think that that quote basically summarizes uh, this, this, you know, this whole concept really well. But um, I thought, you know, if I could Put it up to the uh, to the floor and see what uh, what you guys want to add, <laughs> John. Yeah, look, fa- failure is a, a theme that comes up all the time. You know, we did the Berkshire Hathaway guys uh, a couple of weeks ago, and um, so so overcoming adversity and learning from failure is such a 
a recurring theme. Um, he says sort of, I, I love that quote about the, how you deal with adversity determines your success, not how you deal with success that deals with, that determines your success. I mean, that's fair. I've, ne- I've never heard that before. It's fantastic. I mean, w- w- I think the context of this is that he's speaking to students and he's sort of saying to the students, you haven't had any failures yet, so you, mm. you're not ready to be successful, um, which I thought was really interesting as well. But, um, you, you know, as as investors, our failures are a lot more informative um, to us, uh, you know, from a learning perspective than are our, our successes. And, you know, a lot of people say, I think Rick Rule, who's a big commodities investor, he always says that basically, you know, one of the worst things that can happen to you is that you get too successful too young because you'll actually think that it's due to your own competence when actually it's probably just luck. Uh, and I think that there's all different ways to frame this idea about learning from failure, but uh, I just love the way he put it. And I think that uh, overcoming adversity is um, excellent. I, I mean, I, I almost read it as overcoming diversity, which is the, bu- the buzzword for 2022, but I, I'm going to, we're going to leave it with uh, overcoming adversity. <laughs> Over to you, Jazz. Thoughts? So. I don't know or can think of any person who has reached, who has achieved uh, who, or who has been ultra successful without failing on the way. And the full form of fail itself is first attempt in learning. That's what it says. I mean, people call failure as failure, but it's actually first attempt in learning. So you can fail multiple times. That is not failing. That is attempt in learning up until the point where you go, you know what, I've learned enough and the success comes your way basically at some point. So uh, if you haven't failed, then either you got lucky at being extremely successful or um, you haven't tried enough. Uh, When you talk about likes of these uh, billionaires, like Bill Ackman, he runs a hedge fund, right? So he, I'm sure he fails many times. It's just their failed stories are not known to us, but uh, they're sharing their wisdom learn to stand up after failing yeah he, he describes actually his his um he said i didn't become successful in a straight line he sort of talked about the wave of uh, of success and he says you know when i left business school, he went to harvard business school he goes i left harvard business school he started making money through successful investing very early and 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 he got really big for his boots and he actually lost a lot of it shortly after that. So you, you're going to, and that's what made him a better investor. It's it's thinking he was a good investor, then losing it and then starting again. So mm-hmm. super interesting. Even your heart rate doesn't go in straight line. Anything that goes in straight line is pretty much dead. That means you're not changing or you're not trying or you're not aiming high enough. It's simple as that. Yeah. It's going to be up and there's always going to be ups and downs. And that down doesn't mean failure. It's just learning. Right, I think yeah. I think that's that's probably the right way of summarizing it. It's it's all about learning. It's not about failures. And but if you look at if you put it in, I mean, I look at it as more. You know, I think John, that settings that you mentioned, it's probably more to the to the students. And I reckon he's he's making this to inspire the future generation of the US students to be able to make new businesses and you know obviously try out new startups and all that kind of things. How do we bring it into the context of investing, uh, in terms of overcoming adversity for investors? I mean, take property as an example, right? Um, we had a lot of stories and we had many on the podcast as well where people bought wrong property or, mm. or guided wrong, whatever it is, right? And they ended up losing money. 
So that's adversity, right? So, but that doesn't mean you stop. You learn from that lesson of, you know what, hey, maybe buying in a high rise, an apartment uh, with other fancy stuff, pool, swimming pool, tennis, and all that stuff, maybe it's not the right strategy from investing perspective, right? So it's, it's lessons learned uh, from those stories, uh, essentially, uh, that, that guide you through basically all the way. Or, or, or when it's sorry, or when you look, or when you're investing in the stock markets, looking at businesses, not every business that you pick in the stock market is going to perform, right? So uh, you learn your lessons of what you did right, what you did wrong, and uh, create a recipe of success uh, where your net worth grows. Sorry, John. But, there's a, but the, no, 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 not at all. I, I thought that was great. There's a catch though with property, and the catch is the feedback loop. The feedback loop in property happens very slowly. So l- l- let's let's take two extremes. One is that you've you've um, uh, had a failure in real estate investing, and another example would be you had a failure in crypto investing. Now, in in crypto, you'll know within a year that you were right or wrong. In real estate you're probably not going to know for a decade that you made a dud investment. And the reason for that is that the difference between good investing and bad investing is probably something like 2% per annum. But that really accumulates over 10 years. Whereas in crypto or the stock market, you're going to, you're going to know really soon and you're going to know in a big way if, if you screwed up. So real estate, real estate is a very forgiving asset, but over time, um, mistakes accumulate particularly with leverage into big mistakes not exactly i mean if you're bought in a mining town you'll know pretty quickly <laughs> that's a good point <laughs> depends on the type of asset depends on the location right exactly. so yeah and same thing could be with bitcoin as well i mean in one year's time you could have just been looking at at the snapshot that it actually dipped 30 percent, like right now but mm. in in another 12 months time it might be a complete different story again so mm. who knows mm. the, and anyway. I, mean, I think the important point is just basically uh, learn your lessons, yeah. Uh, and the faster you learn uh, and create a recipe, that's the best way. Totally. All right. No, good summary. Um, okay. So next point, uh, which is also a pretty common one, study success. So uh, this this point is all about learning and adapting, and I guess you know somewhat ties to what we've been we touched on already on on point one. Um, he talks about, I guess, understanding um, the, you know, if you're looking at investing, look at understanding the business, um, you know, whether that's distinguishing a good, a great, an okay or bad business, as we say. Okay, so the best way to, to study success, uh, in his opinion, is to actually work for a company. Mm is to actually work for a company, okay? Um, Such as a startup where you actually get to see all the facets of a business. So, you know, uh, all the way from HR, payroll, uh, marketing, whatever, uh, in in that that sense. And, you know, I think, again, the the background here is like for the graduates, Um, you know, giving advice in terms of, okay, well, how do you want to be successful? How can you be successful? is to understand how the business runs and be able to go into, you know, one of the maybe potentially a startup business and yeah, and, and to basically work for them and to absorb as much as you can. You know, chances are, even if the startup didn't perform very well, then you will still learn a lot of things out of it. And that's a great experience in terms of your studying success journey. Um, that's essentially his his advice to, I assume, graduates uh, in the sense about um, studying success by doing it firsthand. Mm-hmm. Any thoughts, Jets? 
Yeah. Okay. So, so study success. I think I think you made a pretty pretty good point from an entrepreneurship perspective or running your own business company perspective. Working mm-hmm. for a start startup, you get to see all different, and we get to see and work with all different departments, right? Whether it's HR, marketing, tech, um, payroll, whatever it is, right? So, uh, so you get the exposure, and that exposure helps you figure out what the challenges are. And not only that, I mean that's more from a entrepreneur entrepreneurship perspective, but also from studying the successful life of uh, some of the famous investors like Bill Ackman, the one that we're talking about, or the Warren Buffett, or the Charlie Munger that we mentioned last time, right? Uh, what it does is it tells you, uh, it, it, it's, it's, it's a way to learn lessons from their life to avoid any failures in your life, right? So uh, any successful investor that you look at will normally... Uh, I, I, or any investor, in fact, uh, why is Warren Buffett so popular, right? So, because people look up, look look up to him, his investment journey, and all that stuff. So, I think any every successful investor should, in general, uh, dig into the life of some of these successful investors and the entrepreneurs to to learn the lessons a little bit faster and create a path for success for themselves. I really like this one, um, and he talks about you know. He, if you're going to be an investor of businesses, you need to know what goes into running a business. It's so obvious, but it's so interesting. So he talks about he talks about um, you know running payroll and all that sort of stuff. But he says you, ultimately the reason you need to do that is because you need to distinguish between what a good and a bad investment is, or a good and bad business is. Start work for a payroll, uh, a startup. I remember, so I'm a chartered accountant and I remember my dad always, he always used to say, you need to learn how to read a balance sheet. He said, that's the first thing you need to learn, to do anything, right? And I think, you know, it was probably good good advice. I was chatting to my wife yesterday. She said she wishes she did more accounting at school, uh, at uni. So, um, so yeah, there's something, there's something in that. I mean, study success is... Um, about modeling as well, modeling your behavior on those who've done what you want to do. And as, as real sort of getting back to real estate, um, studying success means finding people who've done what you wanted to you, what you want to do. If you've got a 10 property portfolio or a $50 million property portfolio, you need to figure out who those people are and emulate them. But there's a lot going on in that, that, um, that one particular point, but it's a very, very strong one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it's more it's more business oriented as far as I yeah. understand. But look, you know, to to bring it back in terms of the investing side of things, you know, there's plenty of books around if you want to study, you know, crypto shares, property. Uh, a lot of people are very open in terms of their own experiences. That's why we have meetups and the kind of things. You know, people are open to share about their their stuff. So it's all about continuous learning uh, in that sense. And how do you learn the best from other people who have already made the mistake so that you can avoid having to make the same mistake? Essentially, that's what you want to get out of it. Um, and yeah, there's multiple ways of doing that, basically. So, you know, suggest- suggestions, um, yeah, basically anything that, uh, whichever the easiest way to learn, whether that's podcasting, whether that's reading, um, you know, we're never short of information at the moment in this age. So I think yeah. If continue continue to learn about new things, there's a there's a famous saying: success leaves clues, right? So yeah. you gotta follow the clues, whether it's the people or their stories. That they sh- and most of the the successful people, they're pretty generous uh, when it comes to sharing their stories, right? So it's uh, uh, which is which is a good part. Even on this podcast, we we have shared our journey all the way through, all three of us. Uh, so 
it's well, not that we are that successful, uh, but <laughs> but the point is that uh, it's it's a it's a good way to learn. Yep, very good. Well, since the fact that you've touched on um, generosity, I thought I'll jump the gun a little bit because one of the points is talking about contribution, contribute. Okay, so um, he's saying one of the factors to be successful is that you, you need to be able to contribute and contribute back to, in his personal opinion, contribute back to the society in whichever form and format that is, you know, whether that's basically sharing your knowledge with other investors, sharing your advice, um, sharing the mistakes that you've made, and he even made the point to say, look, even if I'm not being compensated, um, he will be still be more than happy to contribute back to the society. Okay. So, you know, that's, I thought that was pretty amazing because, you know, that obviously that's an abandoned mindset to say, I do not, I'm not expecting to give in order to get something back and such. Okay. So that contribute type of mindset um, is absolutely amazing. And you see this across all top investors and successful people. It's basically, they give not expecting something to come back. Whereas, you know, I think when we grew up and we're being taught in schools and basically to work in the society, we've been taught you trade your time for something to come back, which is just a salary, right? So that's why I think we're all being taught and mentored in the fact that, hey, if I give something, I should be expecting something to come back. But that's not really from a successful perspective give something, but don't expect something to come back. And the matter of fact is, if you do that, and if you contribute, you're actually going to get a lot more back. That's, you know, what I tend to find um, when you when, when, when you do that. So that's how, uh, that's basically the contribute point for me. But uh, what about gents? What are you guys for? I think this is such a great point, contribute, right? It's, it's I think it's uh, sometimes gets overlooked, to be honest, uh, where, if you, I'll, I'll say contribute in the right way, probably, uh, where if you know something, if you're good at something, whether it's property investing or whether it's stock investing, if you share and guide the people in the right way uh, without expecting anything in return, you will generally find is uh, if, you, if you have done that right, that um, I'll use the word maybe karma over here, it will come back to you that if you, if you guide people right, someone will at some stage uh, uh, where when you need the guidance, uh, welcome and guide you the way you did, right? So what goes around comes around essentially is the thing, right? So that's what contribution is. It's, it's, a, it's a good formula, I think. Just one thing to add for me, because I agree with both of you. And uh, um, the one thing I would add is that even if you're giving voluntarily, the one thing you're probably getting back um, are skills. So don't forget about the skills. So if you're getting involved in things where they don't necessarily pay you an income, you're still probably acquiring skills, which is going to be more important than any of those other things. Respect. Yeah. Yeah. And respect. Mm. Mm, that's right. I mean, even us running the, you know, the, this show here, basically we're contributing our time. We're contributing our knowledge or in terms of what we think and what's going to benefit other people, right? And we're not definitely not expecting, we're not making a commercial here, basically. We're not expecting a return or such. Um, but, you know, it's it's good in a way, you know, it's good for us to be able to give back something to the society in the sense, you know, you know our knowledge, our opinions may, may, be, uh, may be off, be able to help someone uh, in a sense. So that is one form of contribution here as well, which we all really enjoy, you know? So yeah. it's a win-win because we all enjoy doing it and uh, have some fun out of it at the same time. So... Mm -hmm. And also to echo John, uh, John um, you know, you, we basically, as we, as we speak about these things, we also sharpen our skills as well at the same time. So 
No, that's a good one. Um, contribution, which John, since you mentioned about sharpening your skills, the next one I'll jump around again. It's about learn your craft. Learn your craft. Okay. So what he talks about learning your craft is learning by doing. Okay. Learning by doing it. So just having the paper knowledge, you know, if you can read up hundreds of books, but not actually be able to be able to practice or how, you know, how to actually operate on, on certain or specific investment philosophies. Using Bill Ackman's uh, analogy, he started, so, there, you know, he was, when he was in the, um, I think he was in um, the Harvard Business Schools, and then he was looking up, um, you know, how do you become a hedge fund? You know, how do you, how do you train these type of things? And he can't find any specific manuals and guides as such. So how he does it, he's actually, he learned by actually doing it. He opened up a brokerage account and then basically just started investing. He started by doing it. Okay. And he sees that as part of his tuition fee. Okay. Because there's no course that talks about how to do these things. Um, and, and back in that time when he was doing it, there might be some now, who knows, but he's still, he's still of the opinion that the best way of doing it is by actually, you know, best way of learning is actually by doing it. Same thing with, you know, investing. If you're looking to learn about Bitcoin, if you're looking about investing in Bitcoin, investing in shares, investing in property, the, there's no better way in terms of uh, just basically doing it, you know, by actually investing into the, um, uh, and, and the more you do it, the better you get at it as well. That's the thing. So the first one, you might not, you might have learned a lot of mistakes from, from your mistakes. But the second time when you come around, you're so actually, I know about that one. Um, I, I'm not going to make the same mistake again um, here. And, you know, the more that you do it, the better you get at it. This is essentially what we're doing here. Mm -hmm. He certainly says uh, learn, by, uh, learn by doing, but he also says you've got to do your due diligence before you wire the funds. Mm. So, um, uh, so th this for me is, you know, you know, when we did the Charlie Munger one a couple of weeks ago, that was very heavily centered around competence. Uh, about you know you, you you there's no shortcuts you just got to do the work and I feel like this is this is that bit as well like you, you you're good at something you got to figure out what that is and then you've got to do that so um, so learn your craft don't don't take shortcuts um, being good at something is painful and time consuming um, so be you know like aspire to be competent because you know in this free market where money gets attracted. To competence. I mean, that that's money gets attracted to where it's treated the best. So be competent at something. You don't need to be a great investor, although you know he is. You need to be good at something. And once once you identify what that is, you, you just you need to study it, which ties into one of the earlier points. Mm -hmm. Jazz. So there's a there's a saying. Talent is something you naturally have. Like you naturally, some some people are. Uh, we all have got some form of talent, right? Uh, different uh, different sets of talent. But to make that a skill, you need to spend hours and hours and hours uh, crafting that as your skill. So, as an example, Warren Buffett is a really good investor or really good at picking businesses. But that's a natural talent he had. However, to get to, to make Berkshire Hathaway successful, he had to work uh, day in, day out on, his, on improving his skills in the area that he was naturally good at, which is investing. Right. So um, I think the, to me, that, that's the most important thing, finding out what your talent is, what you're naturally good at. And I think that's the hardest thing. 
but once you do find out what your talent is, then it's just a matter of putting in the hours. Once the hours are there, uh, there's no stopping uh, from you being successful. I remember watching a, a, a Roger Federer match at the Australian Open and they did the post-match interview. Roger Federer was sweaty and I think he won. And Jim Courier sort of asks, oh, you know, how, how did you, how did you how, how did you do that shot? And and he sort of Roger Federer says sarcastically, "Oh, it's just all it's just all talent. You know, there's no no hard work at all. Uh, it's just just talent." And everyone who succeeded at anything knows that it's all the it's all the perspiration behind the scenes. Um, it's all the study. It's it's all the hard work. And there's no such thing as luck. See, competence, learning your craft, super important. Uh, yeah, I think just people get confused between talent and skills. Yeah. Talent is naturally there, right? But to make it a skill, uh, which is productive, where you actually can make money out of it or financialize it, uh, that needs a lot of hours. Uh, whether you want to become a, whether you're good at carpentry or whether you're good at construction or whether you're good at investing, whatever that is, right? So those hours needs to go in. Otherwise, talent is wasted. That's why they say it's the 10,000 hour, isn't it? Basically, 10, when, you hit, when you hit that level. That's, That's a very really... good point. 10,000 yeah. hours, which is about five years, roughly. Basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Okay. Um, next point, invest well. Okay. So um, so here, I think, he, so, so this one is really relevant to investing, I think, uh, just, from, just from that. And there's a few points that he actually mentioned in this, in, in this video. Um, so he gives his personal advice in terms of the, um, you know, what sort of what sort of things you should be looking at when you're looking at investing um, your money, because you know not everyone's going to be starting their own business. If you if you do a PAYG job, you'll eventually start to get a bit of savings, and you know you should be looking at putting that savings to better use. Now, um, in his personal opinion, there's um, uh, so so he talks specifically here about buying shares and companies. Okay, so this is very tailored to basically share. I mean, he's a managed fund, <laughs> edge fund advisor. So that makes sense. Um, but we'll go through them quickly. So his three or four key points is essentially say, invest in public listed companies. So more established, um, more safe for your money. And the stocks are more liquid if you want to sell. Okay, so in, as opposed to private companies, which are not listed, which you could, you could risk losing more money and you could risk losing your money at all basically not be able to get them back. The second point about looking at a company is to understand how the company makes money in a very simplistic term. You know, is it easy for, is it easy for you to understand how the company operates and what they do in order to make that money? Um, if it's not transparent and if you cannot work it out easily, then you should probably think again. And the third one is uh, consider buying or investing at a reasonable price because if you pay too much and you pay too high, um, then you're not going to be able to get a good ROI. Okay, so that's probably looking at a more of a shorter term type of philosophy, though. I mean, if you're a long-term hold investor looking at five to 10 years, mm-hmm. it might be okay. Mm-hmm. And then um, he also gives, uh, he also talks about, you know, investing in a company that could last forever, potentially. Okay. And what he mean by could last forever, I uh, uses a Coca-Cola as an example Basically, you need to consider the industry. So um, they're not going to be easily disrupted. That's the, that's the first thing. So you, we all know Coca-Cola is got a you know it's got that uni- unique formula, um, and it's not going to get 
<laughs> overridden by tech <laughs> in some way or form. So, okay, so that side of things is okay. Um, or they're not going to be, in my personal opinion, replaced by new products, which, you know, easily cannot be replaced by new products easily. So, you know, like, yes, there's competition with Coca-Cola. However, um, there's always going to be demand for people who want to drink Coke in a sense. And they, and they were one of the first movers as well. So, you know, I think that's just a, a basic example. But So I rattle on a lot there. I know you guys are eager to jump on and try to dissect that. <laughs> who would like to go first this time? John. So I'm going to pick up on two of the four points um, under InvestWell. So the second point was investing companies that you understand, which is another way of saying understand how they make money. And I think he uses Coca-Cola as an example. He goes, you know, they sell a syrup to distributors around the world uh, and they, you know, and they turn them into Coke bottles and everyone knows that Coca-Cola is a trusted beverage and everyone knows what it tastes like. Um and if you were to ask Joe Blow, how does Coca-Cola make money? We'd know that they sell soft drinks. Makes sense. Bring it into real estate. One of the beauties of real estate is that real estate is easy to understand how money is made. So you say, okay, every every I'm going to buy a $1 million property. I'm going to make some rent every month. And the rent's going to be about 3%. And I'm going to make capital gains. And gain, capital gains probably going to be about 5% on average over the next uh, 10 years. So that's a business model that anyone can understand. And then you can um, model your forecasting in your life around that. You can cash flow. You can sell. I love real estate because it's so simple and so easy to understand. And there are the, those two components of growth and, and income. And that's all you need to know about real estate. In, in terms of in terms of how it makes you money, the other one was point number four. Point number four was um, investing companies that could last forever. Again, I want to bring this back to real estate. One of the things about real estate that's so great is that real estate essentially is one of the the, the most durable goods. I wrote an article a couple of years ago about how the companies in the Dow Jones disappear, but all the the, the real estate. That has that you know. If you take you know the Dow Jones in 1980 and a, and a piece of real estate in 1980, the piece of real estate is still there, whereas the companies in the Dow Jones from 1980, none of them are still in the Dow Jones. And and the the you know if you think about things that will last forever, that mean you don't need to be an active investor. You can be passive. You you want to invest in things that will have enduring value, as they say in real estate. Buy land; they're not making it anymore. Uh, I love real estate because it meets these criteria as investors, uh, particularly it'll last forever. And even if the building doesn't, the land will. <laughs> I'll cover the other two for Joe. <laughs> um, first one, invest in public companies. I mean, David, you pretty much summed it up well on that one. The liquid, um, they already filtered through. To get listed on a stock exchange, obviously, you have to go through a set of criteria, uh, get audited, all that stuff. So um, you have already reduced some level of risk if you're investing in the public companies. That doesn't mean that there's no risk. Obviously, there's a lot of risk, but a level of risk has been reduced. So I think it makes perfect sense to, if you're investing that, uh, especially in the stock market, that invest in public companies rather than in private company, because private company, you have no clue of what's going on. And whether even the people who are running it are legit or not, there's no proper auditing and all that stuff. Whereas with public company, a lot of that stuff is already taken care of, which is a big hassle in itself. Uh, 
The other one is invest at a reasonable price. I think this is the holy grail of investing, query investing. Uh, at the end of the day, as an investor, you look at returns, right? And to get the best return, you need to buy the thing at the best price. If you don't buy it at the best price, the, maybe the return will still be there, but it uh, you can you can optimize the returns a lot if you just time it right. As an example, if, if, if we were to take it back to the property market, people who were listening to this podcast last year, or the, sorry, the year before, they would have known that, you know what, the market has bottomed, now is the time to buy. And if they bought it at that time, and even if they have to sell it now, if it was not a long-term play, they would have still made a decent amount of money. But if you bought it late last year, Q4, and you're trying to sell it now for whatever urgent reasons, you probably lost money, right? So time, timing, timing the market is equally important as time in the market, I think. Because if you if you if you if your timing is right and you've got time on top of that, that is uh, I, that that is a uh, icing on the cake. So do you want the cake? Or the icing on the cake, or do you want both? If you want both, then this is this is the thing that you need to do. Invest in the I agree, but I, I and I, I don't want to sort of interrupt your train of thought here. But um, buying at a reasonable price in real estate is really, really uh, difficult because um, Sydney real estate has been at an unreasonable price for about forty or fifty years. So. <laughs> Um, knowing what what a reasonable pricing could mean different things to different people, and it's it's not buying real estate's not like buying a listed stock where you've got all that information embedded in the price. Real estate's a lot a little bit more intuitive, and I think that a lot of people who are waiting for reasonable prices have actually been on the sideline and they've missed several booms now. So the the, the concept of a reasonable price. Um, I think is easier in, in stock markets than it is in the real estate market. I think if you were to look at a very macro level, you're right. But if you were to look at cycles within mm. cycles, uh, then the returns can, can be really optimized. And the example is 2019, if you bought it, your returns were optimized. Yeah. If you bought it last year, you still would have made some money, 5%, 10%, but it won't be 40%. Simple as that. Same for stock market, Tesla share, like, if you bought it when David bought it, you're killing I it. I bought it enough. That's the problem. <laughs> That's a separate thing. We're talking about the return, right? So from a return perspective, you're culling it, right? So uh, yeah, I think I think timing and time in the market, they're both equally important. But time in the market uh, helps you... Uh, Cover your mistakes if you have made any if you have made any mistakes. Uh, whereas timing helps you optimize your returns. It's very difficult to time to time when to enter though. Um, in particular, I mean for all for investment. Costs, another another I mean another great example is crypto. Right, anyone who mm. bought let's say Bitcoin at sixty five or seventy k lost the money. But at the same time, anyone who tried two years ago took the punt made 10x money so there's a it's a it's a bad example uh because it's such a volatile market but i think proper example is more suitable it's more sensible example mm. all right so i think yeah so all in all i think that's uh you know the the that that invest well concept is um because of the background of bill Ackman. it's more related to stock market uh in in a sense but you know 
based on our summary, I think it, there's still something that you can extract and you can still apply to um, to the principles of general investing, including properties as well. So, okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, well, since we touched on in terms of timing um, and <laughs> timing the market, there's one point that he talks about, don't follow the herd. And I thought that's pretty relevant in terms of timing the market. I think we're all seeing at the moment, um, you know, investors piling to jump in um, into property markets. Uh, and there's no, there's no signs of stopping at this point in time. But, you know, is that really the right approach uh, in terms of the best investing strategy? You know, in his opinion, you really need to go contrarian. When other people are doing it, it's already a bit too late. Um, so, you know, like the exact the analogy that uses in again in the stock market is um, when the market dips, people tend to sell. People try to sell, and when the market booms, people want to buy. People want to catch on that train. Same same concept or same analogy we're seeing now in property market as well. You know, we've seen that twenty odd percent boom last year across all capital cities, and now you know investors are wanting to jump on, and they thought there was still going to be there's still going to be a lot more gravy to to be had. How much more gravy to be had? I'm not so sure, and I don't know. Whereas jazz, I think you know when you said if people bought in 2019 and they have to have the guts to buy back that time as well, they would have gone contrarian and would have made. A very very clean profit if they look at it today. So, don't follow the herd is a key concept here. I'll I, I, I'll add another thing along with don't follow the herd is uh, more control your emotions, right? So mm, that's true. Learn, learn, learn to control your emotions, which is basically don't follow the herd, right? Because you're trying to be a contrarian, and when you're a contrarian, contrarian, you really need to control your emotions, which is uh, when. Uh, or there's a there's a famous saying by Buffet, I think it is. Uh, why buy when there's blood on the streets, right? Even if it's your own blood. So uh, this goes directly into that. If uh, if you follow the herd, the rat race, then you will be part of the rat race. If you want to stand out, then it takes a lot of courage. It, you really need to take your emotions out. Emotions out, and uh, a lot of the times you'll have to stand alone, which means. People will think you're crazy, you're mad, you're insane, whatever it is, right? But uh, any successful person that you know of, whether it's Steve Jobs or whether it's Blackman or anyone else, right? So uh, the way they've made their money is by uh, following their own gut, controlling their emotions and uh, uh, standing against the herd, essentially. So you're, you're, you you really got to take a lot of criticism for that, essentially. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think that one of the reasons why the, the the big money is made in being a contrarian is because if you're investing with the herd, all all of that information is already baked into the price. So there's no kind of arbitrage opportunity. There's no mispricing. Whereas if you're buying in things that no one's interested in, um, there's there's a mispricing. So that that's the reason why there's uh, there's upside. But the only thing, I get a little bit nervous about. Um, be a contrarian as a as a rule, which means if everyone's buying this, you should buy the opposite. I don't know if I like like that framing. I kind of like the way Charlie Munger said it better, which is something along the lines of do your own research and sometimes you'll be with the crowd and sometimes you won't be. But 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 as long as you do, you don't rely on the, the collective sort of madness or the collective wisdom of crowds. Do you know? Be competent. Do your own research, and if if that means 
being a tr- contrarian, have the confidence to go with it. But I, I think that's probably a better way to frame it than just do the opposite of everyone, which yeah, definitely often works. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I bought real estate when it was popular to do so and when it was unpopular to do so because I didn't care what everyone thought. And, uh, you know, it, both have been successful. But, but I, I think that, you know, like it's, I was fine. I was fine that, that I was a contrarian and I was also fine when I was uh, right in the pack of the herd at the same time as well because I had my own way of looking at the markets. I had my own objectives and I didn't really give a crap what other people were doing. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. Mm. I think, John, I think that's uh, your, 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 your statement basically pretty much summarised very well about one of the other points that he made, which is about be confident about. Oh, yes. Um, yeah. So that was, I think that concept ties in really well with don't follow the herd to a degree. So maybe we should put both together uh, in, in the context. So um, what he was, what, what Bill Ackman was talking about in, in there in terms of be confident is do your own research like what John was doing. Basically, when he's buying property, you know, he's he's got the due diligence down pat. He's confident that he is right in that sense about this investment side of things. Bill Ackman did say, you know, confident about that he's right and everyone else is wrong, but I suppose we can probably put away the everyone else's wrong part. <laughs> um, you know, do enough due diligence so that you're convicted uh, to, to, to understand that, you know, you are, this is, this is the right decision you'll make, whether that's making in buying a property, a specific property, whether that's buying a specific areas, whether that's buying specific property type uh, for shares, whether that's, you know, analyzing the type of share that you're the industry that you want to buy into that kind of thing. You do enough sufficient or sufficient amount of work to be confident enough to have the conviction to buy or invest in something that is potentially contrarian, potentially contrarian then that's how you make money and how you can be successful. Mm-hmm. So I think those two points. Which means being willing to look a bit silly, means be willing to uh, be wrong because, yeah. you, you know, you won't always be right if you're a contrarian. So, um, yeah, I mean, I had to incur the wrath of my in-laws. But we were buying up in 14, not 2014, 15, 16, 17, and we, my, my in-laws thought we were mad. Um, but there you go. Yeah. Funny you said that. Um, I bought this house straight after GFC. So everyone thought I was an idiot. So, so. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> but I, I think he made a, he makes a very important point that there's a difference between arrogance and being confident, right? So you gotta know when you're arrogant and you gotta know when you're being confident. Because arrogance is surely going to kill you in the sense that if you if you if if you're making decisions when you're investing. Uh, in stock markets or whatever, uh, it's just the arrogance that you don't want to listen to the others, then that's a big problem. And on the other side uh, is the confidence, right? So if if you don't have the confidence to pull the trigger, then, then you are fucked as well. So <laughs> uh, you may be right in all your uh, uh, work that you've done to research the stock or property, whatever it is, right? But if you don't have the confidence, then... Uh, Arrogance or confidence—they—they they go together, I think. But my favorite example of this is the uh, the Michael Burry, the Christian Bale character in The Big Short. Yes. So he—he's ab—he's done his numbers. He's absolutely confident that there's going to be a a surge in defaults. And um, I mean, the the middle of the movie is all about it being the wrong trade, actually. 
uh, where where he they're, they're just wrong, and it's only at the very end that they're right. And so he had the confidence to stick with the trade, and when his investors were abandoning him, and um, yeah, so that that's I mean, it's a fine line, isn't it? Uh, hubris, mm-hmm. confidence, and um, mm-hmm. and I so think, on. I but think, I think that's such a great example that you've just given, Michael Burry, right? So yeah. going against the markets, betting the whole company, the company that he doesn't own, <laughs> um, yeah, right. and that too in uh, betting against the markets that's. Uh, by then at least was known to be the most rock solid market, which is mortgages. Uh, it requires a lot of courage. And uh, he knew the fine line between the arrogance and the confidence, I think. From the outside world, though, I think it's always going to be perceived as more arrogance than anything, in honesty. That's what his boss thought. <laughs> and I think it's easier to say be a contrarian than it is to actually be a contrarian. Right. Because it's not nice to feel like an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> and when you're acting as a contrarian uh, to, you know, as an outsider of the herd, there will be, there, there will be times where you need to deal with criticism. Mm-hmm. Which is which is one of the other points that Bill Ackman talks about. So, you know, if you want to be successful in any kind of fields um you got to have a thick skin in in the business um to a to a degree because there will be people that like you and there will be people that loathe you unfortunately it's just part of human nature as part of it so and it's not a thick skin in terms of just within the business but mm. when you're contrarian uh, that thick skin is required to deal with the uh the family side as well because you know what <laughs> that's true yeah you're, you're 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 betting against the world essentially and everyone is going to call you crazy within the family friend circle leave the business side you no one cares about the business people right but it's it's more the family and the friends that will come and screw your head up <laughs> and just to, just add a footnote to this it's in terms of if you don't have the confidence to be a contrarian that's that's okay too but the alternative to being confident to be an alter, a contrarian is that you get average returns so you have to ask yourself, is that so bad to get average returns in real estate? So if you're a real estate investor in Sydney or Melbourne, you're going to get 6 or 7% per annum over the long term. Is that a problem? I don't think that's a problem. The, in the stock market, that would be um, ETFs, buying ETF index funds, and you're getting what, 8% per year. Is that a problem? I don't think that's a problem either. So you know, you don't need to, to change the world. Uh, just know, know your temperament, know your ability to, to handle uh, that sort of criticism. Mm-hmm. Yep, very good, very good. Um, all right, so I haven't got much left. I think uh, let's go through them, and then um, I'll just I'll just basically call them out and see whether we've got any other comments that we want to uh, want to link it out. The other one is more about personality. Be direct. Be direct. Be direct. Okay, so he talks about he's being very open and honest, uh, and this is probably more of a in the business type of settings, uh, very being very open and honest with in regards to, you know, whether that's a, a someone sitting on the board, whether that's a C-suite type of executive. If it's something that he believes that we should be doing better, we should be making better, we should there's some sort of feedback should be given, it should be given disregard who the other person is. Of course, in a very respectful way. Okay. In a very respectful, respectful way. But um, yeah, and and he found and he basically believed that uh, you know, you you probably won't be very popular um, because people don't typically give very direct feedback and responses. However, you will more likely establish much better relationships with people in that sense. Okay, so anything to add there? No, I think being direct 
goes directly back to what's the most important thing in the world? To me, personally, it's time, right? Uh, time is money. You want to save your time. You want to save your energy to do the productive things that you want to do, right? So being direct sort of fits into that mm-hmm. rather than going through bullshit of saying, yeah, yeah, I, we agree. You know what? Being a sweet sugar rather than being a sweet sugar, just cut through the bullshit saying, you know what? This is the way it's, it's, uh, this is right and this is wrong, essentially. Yeah. So some people will call you fuckwords. Uh, <laughs> uh, some people well, will call you arrogant, <laughs> but be it, right? Who cares? Yeah. Yeah. Be yourself and uh, yeah, speak up, speak yeah. up, speak up basically. Mm. Stand out, okay. be who you are. Yeah, 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 exactly. Um, and I'm not sure whether the last one is really relevant. I mean, he talks about giving opportunities. So, you know, internship opportunities who may not necessarily have the right or official qualifications. Um, not too sure how that applies to investing. Guys, any thoughts? Other than being really interesting about, he, he said, you know, hired someone on a fishing boat once and he said, come and work with me. And mm. another example where he hired a, a, a tennis uh, tennis pro, he said, oh, look, I like your, the cut of your jib, come and work with me. But I think as, a, as an investor, I couldn't, re- I don't know how to necessarily apply that uh, other than, you know, be, be th- think creatively, you know, th- think think a little bit differently and um, and yeah. talent talent can come in a lot of different forms. When I've hired in the past, I've actually, I got this from Jack Welsh, the late Jack Welsh from uh, General Electric, but he always said, just hire a good communicator, everything else they can learn, but you you want a good communicator. That, And I, I, that's how I've always done it. We just hire the most expressive, uh, competent, succinct person, and then um, they, they learn everything else. I'd say just hire a learner, the one who is always yeah. keen to learn, right? So as the as that curiosity, you know what, what is this? I, I really want to know about this, which means... Mm. They're keen to learn and have the integrity as well. So, yeah, um, yeah. Never looked at the CV to be honest. Yeah, it's all about it's all about finding what the personality is like and whether it's, I guess, in my in my personal opinion, coachable. Whether they can whether they can be taught, whether they can be taught, you know, whether they can learn, basically. So, mm. awesome. All right. Well, that's pretty much it for the ten points. Uh, I think in a in a nutshell. Um, Anything else we want to add? That's awesome, I think. That's good. Awesome. All right. Okay. Well, um, so listeners, I hope you guys enjoy these uh, these successful, um, I guess, uh, insights that's uh, being shared uh, here. Uh, we will bring more back um, later on. Um, if you guys really like it, tell us, let us know. Um, you, know you can always send the feedback um, to our email address, um, sparkyourfirepodcast at gmail.com. Or you can just leave us a comment on the uh, Facebook um, messages, and um, yeah, we'll be uh, we will always listening to see how we can actually improve our podcast a bit more. Until next time, um, you know, have a good week, stay safe, and um, yeah, we'll see you again in next week's prod. John, Jazz, and David. Cheers. <laughs>